Okay, the tiger used to be called the country gentleman. <laughs> Why? It's so strange. You know when something happens and like it's not necessarily inherently offensive, but it's just weird and you're like, "Why are you so weird? Why that's just weird." And not in a fun like exciting way. That just feels weird. A country gentleman. Just a random dude in a suit. Yeah, in the 60s, he would, like, be on the sidelines with all of the, like, long-skirted cheerleaders with the bullhorn being like, but what about reverse racism? Oh, my God. (laughs) Or it'd be like, women aren't funny naturally. Anyway. This is Chapel Belker. I'm Justin. And I'm Nathan. And today, we are previewing the homecoming match against the Vanderbilt Commodores. If I could roll my R's, it would be much more impressive to say out loud. But, you know, it is what it is. I am very excited to get into this episode very soon. But before that, we have some housekeeping. Nathan, tell the people at home what they could do to join our burgeoning community of Patreon members, right? You want to hit them with it real quick? Yeah, so there are two ways you can get integrated into this uh, just most misfit of Island of Misfit Toys that is our Patreon community. Mm -hmm, One, mm -hmm. you can go to patreon.com forward slash chapel bell curve, and for as little as $1, you can get access to the our discord which is a a wretched hive of scum and villainy but i mean that (laughs) in the most loving best way right now as we are recording this we have some discord we have some patrons on our discord listening to us live uh, talking crap about clemson's mascot as we record it makes it very very easy to focus anyway so you can also (laughs) become a part of our community in the meat space in the uh it'd be not yeah the the non-metaverse when we do mm-hmm. a meetup, we're going to have a meetup this weekend on the occasion of UJ's homecoming uh, festivities. So the big event that I will be at on this Friday, October 14th, from 5 to 7-ish, we will be at Creature Comforts. We're going to just kind of post up there, Justin and I. I'm going to walk the parade with the the homecoming parade with the Redcoats, and then I'll be there as well. And we'll hang out. We'll swap stories. We'll have a, have a drink. We'll exchange goodwill and greetings throughout the year or whatever. And then uh, the next day we will meet again before the game at approximately 1230. And we will put the specific time up when we get that on the schedule on the 15th on the Tate center bridge for the Sousa show. You can come see my little adopted children play their instruments and make beautiful music. Then you can see Justin at All Good Lounge starting mm-hmm, at three thirty mm-hmm. for a little bit of a viewing party. This is a this is a real, uh, well, I don't know, special opportunity to meet everyone. We think that this community is basically the best part of this stupid, stupid podcast, and uh, we are really helpful, are really excited, and hopeful to meet as many of you as we can. So please come to all any. Or as much as you can of our events this weekend. M E E T. Yeah. Meet up. A meet a meetup event in the M E A T space. Okay. In the <laughs> in the M E A T. But uh, also other housekeeping piece. Just real quick before we get into the meat and potatoes, the M E A T and potatoes of this episode. 
Um, we say meet a lot. Wow. Uh, next week is a bye week. So we are going to be having a Ask CBC episode, and we would love to have your questions. If you have questions about the season so far, the team, our upcoming season, whatever it is you have for us, we would love to answer those questions for you on a special Ask CBC episode. You can get those questions to us on Twitter at hashtag AskCBC. Just throw that onto your tweet. You can email it to us at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com. You can slide into these DMs because both of our handles are right there on the show notes of whatever podcast you are listening to currently. No question is off limits. It just might not make it the show due to time or because, you know, maybe we just don't want to. But we'll try our best. So hit us with some questions. We'd love to hear them. Yeah. And, All right, and- we need we need content, so feed us yummy yummy content. Feed me that delicious content, my friends. Feed us that content. If you've never listened before, we divide our all of our episodes, other than the ACBC episodes, into a qualitative and quantitative segment. So in our qualitative sure segment do. today, we will be doing some history. We will be doing a game that I'm sure will be wildly inappropriate. We'll be talking about some storylines mm-hmm. going into this. And we will do a Patreon question of the week from our $50 a month patrons. Then in our quantitative yes. review, we will be talking about who is Vanderbilt in sort of the existential football sense of the question. We will be talking about a, you know, who is UGA at this point in the season, a little stats update from UGA, but from our good friends over at R2 Sports uh, Metrics, as well as our, the little CBCR group that we have. And then we will be making some predictions and talking about a couple of games of note around the country. So without further ado, without yes. any more gilding the lily, let's get into it. Let's do a qualitative preview. <laughs> Please don't talk about my lily on the air, Nathan. <laughs> I will gild your lily to my heart's content. Or, uh, anyway, <laughs> so this is, if we said last week in our preview of the Auburn game that Auburn was the most interesting Winsipedia entry. Winsipedia, by the way, Winsipedia.com is the best place to compare to college football teams. I, I am HO. But uh, <laughs> I actually think that this Vanderbilt UGA one is the least interesting Winsipedia entry mm. in, this, in the whole program history. Sure is. Currently, Georgia has won 59 games, tied twice, and lost 20 times to Vanderbilt. This has not been a competitive this has not been a competitive affair really since 1961, when Vanderbilt won 21 to nothing. Since 1961, Vanderbilt won once in 1973 by four points, once in 1991 by two points, once in 1994 by 13 points. Once in 2007 by three points. That was a bad day. I was there for that. Mm. And once in, 2013, once in 2013 by four points. I was also there for that. That sucked as well. Uh, once in 2016 by one point. That was the targeting call wow. changed game. That was the James Franklin game. This is rough. And, yeah. And then that's it. And that's since 1961. So since they won 21 to nothing in 1961, uh, the uh, the old ghost of Johnny Griffith, who was UGA's Coach at the time has haunted them <laughs> deeply. And since 1961, they have had one, two, three, four, five, six wins, seven wins against wow. the the dogs, our, our dogs, in like 20, 30-something tries. The largest margin of victory by Georgia in this game is 62 to nothing, which was from last year. The, lar- the longest win st- streak in this game is 11 between 1974 and 1984 by UGA. 
The largest margin of victory by Vanderbilt in this game is 47 to nothing. Would you like to guess the date of that game? Ah, the year of our Lord, 1901. Correct. Yeah, 1901. <laughs> I'm looking Van- at the sheet. Vanderbilt under Walter Hudson Billy, in quotation marks, Watkins. What a name. Uh, yeah. In Nashville, beat Billy Reynolds and his fighting bulldogs. Well, I guess they might have been the goats at that point. 47 to nothing. This is not a competitive rivalry, and it never really has been for any extended amount of time. So far as I can tell, Vanderbilt has beat UGA more than once in a row, three times. They beat them in 1911, 17 to nothing, and then 1912 in the aforementioned 46 to nothing, which was the second highest margin of victory. So that's once. They beat them in 22, 12 to nothing. And then in 23, the 1923, that is, 35 to 7. And then in, between the year 1956 and 1958, they beat them three times in a row. So this has just not been close, right? And so yeah. I, the history of this game, there are some games that UGA considers to be sort of quote-unquote little brother games that have actually historically been quite competitive. So, for instance, like mm-hmm. Georgia Tech has had chunks and like pieces of dominance throughout their, you know, you know, their time playing Georgia. And in fact, like Georgia Tech ruined Georgia's season intentionally several times. Like, so even though mm-hmm. we think of Georgia Tech as being sort of the quote unquote little brother, they still Georgia Tech still claims more national championships than UGA and more conference championships than UGA, right? So that mm-hmm. it, that has at some point historically been a competitive rivalry. Georgia has never really had a competitive rivalry with Vanderbilt. And, you know, so if the tenor of this comes off as somewhat dismissive of Vanderbilt, it isn't because I have anything against the uh, boys in black and gold from old Nash Vegas. It's just because the history of this series tells us that this is not going to be a competitive game. And the stats tell us and our storylines and what we know about these two teams tell us that this isn't going to be a competitive game. So to that end, let's talk about some history, something that I actually find interesting. Uh, I would love to because this team has so much history. This university has so yeah. much history. So let's start with the I namesake. Love it so much. Let's start with the namesake of the university yes. and also the namesake of the football team. The Vanderbilt <laughs> Commodores all are the Commodores, so named after Cornelius Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt. Cornelius who was the, Vanderbilt. Who was the original <laughs> Commodore? Happen a lot. I'm so now, sorry. Now, <laughs> here's the thing about Cornelius Vanderbilt. He has some. He has some positive qualities, but mm-hmm. he wasn't even a Commodore. He was never in the no, military. Not a bit. He got the nickname never, Commodore because he was in shipping, right? But I will say that I, by God, hope that someone who is my contemporary describes me the way he was described contemporarily by one of his rivals. Uh, do you want to uh-huh. read this off in an old-timey Southern I, accent? Oh, my God. I would love... Thank you so much for this gift. Um, <clears throat> contemporaries, too, often hated or feared Vanderbilt, or at least considered him an unmannered brute. While Vanderbilt could be a rascal, combative and cunning, <laughs> he was much more a builder than a wrecker, being honorable, shrewd, and hardworking. It's kind of like a Southern... Um, like Christopher Walken there for a minute. I apologize for yeah. for the mission drift. <laughs> yeah, you you really were kind of like bouncing all all over the the sort of upper Midwest, Northeast and yeah. Southeast I, there. But I, I, I respected it. To, it was good. I can't speak to any of those ways we would describe Cornelius Vanderbilt. What I can say about him is that he looks 
100,000% like a Cornelius Vanderbilt. He looks like a rascal, too. You see that guy, and you're like, oh, that rascally old boy. Uh, I just want to give him a noogie. Here's the thing about Cornelius. You know, eat the rich and all that. He was ultra rich at the end of his life, but he started out upper middle class. He basically Mm -hmm. borrowed money from his dad. (laughs) Pretty common story in American history. But his dad, his dad owned like a ferry or something. He, his dad wasn't super rich. He borrowed some money from his dad, bought a sloop, like a sailing vessel, and then just started a trading empire basically with his own two hands. Now, he never owned slaves. I don't know if he was racist or not, but he did donate his ships to the Union Navy. In fact, one of his ships that was at one point named the, I forget, the Virginia, was actually partially responsible for the sinking of... No, it wasn't in the Virginia. I forget what the ship. I think it was just named the Vanderbilt. But he had this steamer that he donated to the Union Navy at some point during the war. And it was actually one of the ships that rammed and ended in the uh, destruction of the Virginia, which was the Confederate ironclad that was kind of playing hell on Union shipping routes uh, in the uh, at the end of the war. So, you know, I mean, he might have been racist, but he at least was on the right side of that historical context. Uh, I... Looking at pictures of him, I think that he is he looks like an old drunk Dutch man. And I wish that <laughs> I wish Vanderbilt today would just stop. He was Dutch, by the way. I'm not just making fun of the Dutch. Uh, his grandfather immigrated from the Netherlands. But he um, mm-hmm. I really wish that Vanderbilt would just stop being cowards. And instead of having a guy like a young person in a Vanderbilt like Commodore suit, they just hired like a drunk Dutchman. And paid him an exorbitant Ugh. amount of money to just like eat weird oysters all year or whatever, and live the <laughs> live the Commodore life, you know, like like Ugh. get hire a guy who is like old and curmudgeonly, and give him enough money uh-huh. so that he has like dishes named after him in a hundred years because he liked them so much and like cocktails and stuff. I love that it. that's the goal. Uh, let's see. You have a note here about Anderson Cooper. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm really excited about what you're about to share in just a moment. And so I, I just wanted to kind of provide you with a segue of historically speaking, this has been a very pro Anderson Cooper podcast in general, despite his, uh, you know, apparent belonging to the bourgeoisie. However, Anderson Cooper until last year, I would have argued was the sexiest mascot in America, because, you know, we didn't look too hard into it. Anderson Cooper to us was the mascot for Vanderbilt. However, there was a contest, wasn't there, Nathan? There was a contest. And in a combined contest that involved like some rankings from a panel of judges and a fan vote, Mr. Commodore was named one of the sexiest mascots in America this August. So the, the fan vote was won, won by two mascots, one of which was Willie the Wildcat. The other one I'm going to talk about in a second. And then the highest rated one among women was uh, the, Blue, the Duke Blue Devil. The Bluke. <laughs> <laughs> the blue blue devil, the Duke blue the devil, bloke. <laughs> and then the winner of the fan vote overall was the Army Mule. And I had not seen, I didn't know that Army had a mascot. I didn't even know that they had like an animal associated with their program before today. But the, the first, mule. the yeah. first suited Army Mule is just like, and we don't, we're My not, yuck, we're not yucking yums here. This is just someone's persona. No. This this is a mule. This with is like, a himbo. This is yes. This is a mule with like suspenders and a six pack. This is a mule that and like the smirk. S- yeah, he's, don't forget the smirk. Yeah, this mule like sexually cuts wood on TikTok. 
What's going on with that? <laughs> I know we're pretty far afield from that UGA Vanderbilt, but like, oh God. how did this? How did someone in, in the in the production of this game? How did no one say like, "Hey, this is uh, this is too sexy"? <laughs> how did no one? There, <laughs> well, <it's> back- <laughs> there wasn't a single woman in that room when they made this this suit, or it was all women. That's oh, okay, yeah, it's one or the other. Yeah, for the sure. The new conspiracy theory. All right, so I I'm guess I'm upset that <laughs> looking no, at this ahead. list of top ten mascots, I'm upset that the Yukon mascot is called Jonathan the Husky. <laughs> like it just feels yeah, it's like the most... too many converging like mishmash of pieces. Well, it's also the most like Connecticut thing I've ever heard in my life. Mm-hmm. We found a husky and we've named him Jonathan. Jonathan. He comes to brunch with us. We think mm. we, we think we'll go up north a little bit and pick some apples later on, just to get out they of the house. They even let us inside. They don't make us sit on the patio. Mm. <laughs> Kinley and Madison are going to be at their new boarding school this year. Mm. <laughs> mm. Uh, let's go over some storylines for this game. Let me hit you with some of these and tell me what you think about them and if you can give some context for them. You ready? Mm-hmm. All right. Does UGA actually give a shit about the canceled game in 2020? And in parentheses we have here, because a section of Twitter does, and that was a long time ago. Yeah, so I don't think UGA does care. I don't know if you remember this. Like, the UGA Vanderbilt mm-hmm. game in the height of the pandemic was rescheduled a couple of times and then ultimately mm-hmm. canceled. There is a part of UGA's fan base that is still kind of butthurt because that was supposed to be senior day. No, on the one hand, oh, yeah. I totally get it, like. It is a manifestation of how COVID sucked for a lot of people. Now, someone missing senior day is the least thing that I would worry about in the ways that COVID sucked. But I get that college football in 2020 was a place where people could go to have some sense of normalcy. So I I get all of that. I so and I understand people being like a little be like, ah, I wish that hadn't happened or that sucks or I'm a little butthurt. That's all fine. But in the year of our Lord, 2022, post-national championship, apparently there are some people think that, that think we should beat like Vanderbilt like 80 to nothing or something. Like, And I, I thought we already did that. Wasn't sure. that what we did last year when we beat them 62 to nothing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the bo- the body's already dead. The, pe- the people who go canceled <laughs> that game all got fired for non-COVID-related reasons, right? James Franklin isn't there anymore. Like, let, let's just... <laughs> I don't think anyone on the team cares about this. Like, I really don't. No. Give me some info on, can I please get a waffle? <laughs> Healthy team. Well, I put, can I please get a waffle? Because there's that TikTok of the guy who sees the fight in the fight in Waffle House. And it's like two. <laughs> at the Waffle House. Yeah, it's like two line cooks at Waffle House just beating the crap out of each other. And there's a guy at the Waffle House counter. And he's like, can I please get a waffle? And I don't know why I wrote that down. But I just like, <laughs> can we get a break on the injuries here? Like. We came to off, we we came to UGA football to watch football, not to watch people get injured, <laughs> beat each other up. Uh, that is yeah. a storyline that matters because there are not maybe for this game, but for the rest of the scene, because there are a lot of injured players on this team. You've got uh, you know minor injuries like Seth and Bennett has some kind of shoulder thing. We talked about that in the Auburn review. Mm-hmm. You also got people like s- several starters: Ad Mitchell, Arian Smith, who would be a big contributor, is missing. Kendall Milton has some kind of groin injury. Uh, Eric Gilbert has something going on. We've got a lot of people who are missing games for various reasons. And I think that matters for this game just because it will be interesting to see 
how much that ends up affecting the depth of this game. How much do those injuries affect how much UGA can substitute throughout this game, right? Because mm-hmm. normally if you had a if you had a team where you had more where you had fewer injuries to starters, you would expect this would be a game where you would see the second string in like maybe the second quarter or at least the beginning of the third. But can UGA afford to do that with these injuries? Where can they afford to do that? Where can they not? I think that is a uh that is a a, a storyline that matters. So a few other pieces here we have can UGA's offense click in the first half. This is, of course, referring to the last few games where we've just kind of had a mess of mm-hmm. what's going on, y'all? What are y'all doing yeah. over there? What's happening? And, th- and this this matters because I don't want to tip anybody. I don't know if you guys you guys might not know this, but like Vanderbilt's not a good team. And they're particularly not a good team defensively. They're just pretty bad. So this is a game that UGA should be able to score basically as many points as they want, even with the injuries. Now, Vanderbilt is better coached than they have been in the past. There's no doubt about that. I like what Clark Lee's doing. They gave they gave Mississippi a, a, a good run for their money for about two quarters. They were tied at halftime. So I get it. But like this is a team that UGA should put, a half, put away in the second quarter. And finally, can we pat out those Havoc plays? This is something that UGA, I feel, is traditionally not... I would say uh, I wouldn't say great at, but it's not something we get like a really high percentage rate in in the first half of the season in the past few years. So, yeah. what, what are you feeling here? Well, this is the team that has a bad offensive line. I mean, and this is a team that mm-hmm. doesn't have a a very mobile quarterback. So, I'm having like if UGA is going to have a big sack game where it has a just piles a bunch of sacks and tackles for losses and interceptions. Outside of the FCS mm-hmm. games and, you know, the non-con games, this is the game to do it in, right? So, mm-hmm. and it's not that that really matters. It's just like, like, I, I want to see some fireworks, baby. I got to be there for all four quarters. Like, show me something. Yeah. So that brings yeah. us, I think, to the end of our qualitative preview and thus to, the, to our Patreon question of the week. This is submitted by Ben and Abby, who are our... $50 patrons who they get their own little segment every week where they get to ask us any random question they want. So this week we have a cinema question and a question I would probably need your help answering. And I'm, I'm excited. Mm. I'm excited to help answer. I, I have one or two of this, but for this. So Ben in particular asks, what are your top three horror movie recommendations that most people not might not have seen? Oh, this is uh, that that's the part that I'm like, hmm. That might not have seen. So let me just, I'll start by saying that for me, horror films are, like, I feel like that is subjective to an extent. There are horror genre films, but I feel like part of horror is like, what do you find horrifying? And so with that in mind, for me personally, I am really horrified by certain, the films that are like uh, really cerebral and the ones that like stay with you, like the gory films don't really hit for me. The like jump scare films don't really hit for me. The, I guess the, the cheap scares, they don't really hit for me. They feel more like an action film, but the ones that really hit for me are the ones that days later I think back on and I'm like, Oh, they meant like it was a metaphor for whatever, or they were talking about that. And, you know, and so those are the ones that really stick with me. Um, I have to think about the three that have stuck with me that people haven't seen, though. Do you want um, me to give you mine? 
Yeah, go for it. All right. So 2008, Let the Right One In. It's a Swedish language film about a child vampire who is very old, but is like stuck Mm. in the body and the personality of a child. And it's about this vampire like striking up a relationship with this little kid and their like friendship. And it's it's terrifying but sweet it's like very scary but it, it it's right on the edge of like is it a horror movie is it not that's kind of a theme with these that that's the kind of movie that i like i don't i'm not really mm-hmm. interested in the fear side of horror i'm interested in more of the exploration of the unknown side of horror it's uh sort of mm-hmm. one of those way it's one of those places where horror intersects with science fiction this idea of like the novum the thing that is totally new uh, the another one I like is 2009's Jennifer's Body, which is like a. Mm. It was I think uh, Diablo Cody's maybe first full film or whatever she did. One she worked of on it, at least. Yeah, uh, Cody worked on Juno, I know, and uh, and then I think she worked with like Jason Reitman or whatever. But it has Megan Fox, Amanda Seyfried in it, and it is about a demonically possessed high school girl who kills the men in her life and her best friend, uh, the best friend of the, the, not the demon, but the, the girl that the demon is wearing, uh, trying to like basically save her friend. And it is in many ways, like a feminist masterpiece and it's Mm -hmm. very good. It it is, it is not, it is also not a traditional horror film. And I guess I have four. And then my third one is Tucker and Dale versus evil which is like a reverse yes. of the horror trope. It is not as scary as this, but it has a little bit of Cabin in the Woods, which is also a very good movie, mm-hmm. uh, where it's like sort of a, a subversion of the horror trope where the two creepy rednecks are just like property owners whose property these kids stumble onto and happen to start dying on, much to their horror. And it has Alan Tudyk in it, <laughs> who is just remarkably good. Uh, as a like sort of southern redneck for a guy who is not from the south. Uh, it also has mm-hmm. I don't know if it has anybody else famous in it, but I do know Alan Tudyk is just a tour de force as a redneck there, a hillbilly or whatever. Let's see. Um, and then mm-hmm. I guess my number one one, and this is a popular ish movie. I mean, it's like an A twenty four movie, so like I guess a lot of people have seen it. But The Witch, The Witch is one of my favorite movies ever. It's also probably my favorite horror movie and that's been made in the 20 in the 21st century. It is about a Protestant or Puritan. You've not seen the witch. Oh, it's no amazing. Oh, it's, Oh, just, okay. You never seen the witch. Also watch this. Also a feminist masterpiece came out in what? 2015. And uh, it has Anya Taylor Joy in it. Yeah. Yeah. It's dude. How have you not seen the witch? Oh my God. It's so, I don't know. And it, and it is, it's in 1630. Okay, so there's a couple of things about it. It's in 1630, set in 1630 New England, which was the year after the Salem Witch Trials, which, which, which happened in 1629. And it's about this family led by this, like, really crazily religious zealot father who moves his family out into, like, the woods, the hinterlands, like, into the wilderness outside of their town or whatever to, like, get away from evil because he thinks that like the world is corrupting his family and it's about how he becomes it's it's just about like there's a witch in the woods basically yeah uh, and it was made by robert eggers i believe is the director 
Uh, it was uh-huh. his directorial debut. He also made The Lighthouse, and he uh, directed, I think, The Northman, which is like the uh, it's from this year. It's like basically. Um, I don't like this play. Why am I? Why am I blanking on? Oh, it's like Hamlet, but Vikings <laughs> or whatever. But it is. It mm-hmm. is so. It's such a fascinating movie because it's like highly historically accurate in terms of just like the technology of the day and how people are dressed and just like how they live their lives and the chores that they do. And there is this edge throughout the movie of like, is this witch real? Right. She's real. That's, mm-hmm. That becomes quickly, very quickly apparent. But it's one of those <laughs> movies that's made with Spoiler. such. Yeah, sorry. It's made with such like sort of cinematographic and logical veracity that it keeps you on edge as to like whether or not the paranormal exists in this world. And to me, I think it is, it has incredible resonance with a, with a play like uh, the crucible because it's similarly kind of, it does something similar to what the crucible does where the crucible is about a world where there are no witches yet people act horribly. Right. And Mm. you don't know like who the real evil is. Right. And the witch is sort of an inversion of that trope where there are witches but the question is like, who is actually the evil person in this story? And it's it's mm-hmm. so good, dude. I'm ready for it. I um, so I will share mine, and I will start by saying, you know, talking about A24 got me. Uh, it reminded me of Midsummer and Hereditary, mm-hmm. which are two films I will absolutely not watch. I will <laughs> not watch them. I don't know anything about them. Don't want to know anything about them. They look terrifying. I think they would stay with me and it would ruin my life. <laughs> yes, absolutely. that's all I know. Um, so yeah, there's, there's plenty of films like that that are out there that I'm like, I got to know a little bit about it and I'm like, yeah, nope, I don't need that in my brain. And Mm -hmm. it, Mm -hmm. it it absolutely competes with that part of me. That's like, I'm missing a Mm -hmm. cultural moment and I I feel like I'm missing out the FOMO, but I don't need that. (laughs) See, I think about movies like that Um, as like, you need like anti-memetic counter countermeasures. So instead of thinking like you're missing out, I like to think it's like. This torpedo is locked on my submarine and I have to release like cavitating bubble countermeasures to get to break the lock because <laughs> if this thing hits my brain, it's going to be I, I'm sunk. Right. It, this is like chaff. It's going to be bad. This yeah. is like when a fighter plane puts yeah. out chaff. Like I have to just be like, no, I refuse to I refuse to, I refuse to be glommed on by this this treacherous, horrible meme. Anyway. <laughs> so so my three movies, though, I'll, I'll give you like three categories. One that's legitimately scary. <sighs> One that is scary just for the sake of being scary. And then one that is a horror film, but more of a comedy than anything else. But the first one that is really scary to me is The Descent. Mm-hmm. Um, I am somebody in this. This is a film that I think it's it came out in 2005. So it's one of those where I think the aughts were like a time for movies where there were so many coming out and we were still trying to like throw spaghetti at the wall and figure out what would stick like what was our look what was our aesthetic and so a lot of movies got missed and horror movies are are, are some of those movies where you, you kind of miss anyway but anyway the descent is about a bunch of uh folks that go down into a cave um and they become trapped and they figure out that there's like a strange uh like a breed of predators that live in this cave and um you know hilarity ensues when whatnot <laughs> But, I don't think that's what you mean, but yeah, I get you. <laughs> no, not at all. I mean that in the metaphorical sense. Uh, I am somebody that has said often, I will say it out loud, humans are not meant to go into caves. Yes. 
Agreed. If we were, we would have evolved to that. Yes. We're not meant to nope. dive to deep depths of the nope. ocean. I'd, ra- I'd literally we rather were, go we to space than to into a cave. <laughs> Absolutely. And if you combine cave diving and ocean exploration, like underwater cave diving, I'm like, what are you absolutely, like, what are you thinking? A death wish. What? That's what, that's what, what? it is. It's a desire it's to wish. die. I, so, I yeah. don't like... I don't have claustrophobia, but in cave settings, I do. And I've never been in a cave, but I'm watching this trailer on mute. And like my- It's awful. My countermeasures are deploying. I'm exiting (laughs) this tab. I'm deploying countermeasures. I'm- We cannot. I'm I'm going on Twitter right now, and I'm going to just type in kitties. (laughs) The other film I will say that is also terrifying- All right, countermeasures this, So this was during a time- um, I don't remember when I watched this film, but I watched it at some point. It's called Hush. And okay. Hush <clears throat> is a film about the, there's a novelist who is deaf and she's also a co-writer of the script. Um, she is just living her life and living in her little home in the forest. And somebody shows up with a creepy mask and wants to kill her. That's it. And the whole film is done from her point of view in the sense that, you can't hear things like you see a lot. You see him like creeping in the house, creeping up behind her. You don't hear anything. You hear the world as if she, as she would. And it is absolutely terrifying. That's all the setup you need. It's a quick 90 minutes. Go watch it. I believe it's still on Netflix. If not, then go find it. Um, also terrifying. Final movie is I followed this one when like in the early days of the internet, when I still had AOL online, um, John dies at the end. It is a is a movie mm. that was based on a book that was based on a web manuscript that was like edited over time and over time and over time. And you had to know somebody that had the torrent <laughs> to download the book or you had to be a part of a forum to get the actual book because so many people were making edits to this book. And it f- reminds me a lot of like Stephen King because there are some actual horrifying parts of it. And like Stephen King in the way that like House of Leaves. Yeah, is I was about to say it's, it's very Stephen House King. of Leaves. Yeah. Yeah, very House of Leaves. And then Douglas Adams, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Like both of those things put together. And it's just very weird. And it makes you kind of question things as you go. But I remember reading the book or the, the, the online book, like as it came out a little bit at a time and people, it was kind of like a fanfic at the time where people were like, keep writing this, please keep writing this. This is really good. Please keep writing this. And this is like one of those things that was really formative for me in high school because it came out before I got to high school, but it didn't finish until I got to high school. And so I kind of got to follow that along in forums and sort of like piece my way through. Um, it's really good y'all. Uh, and I would encourage you to try and find the original manuscripts online the movie is not as good. However, it's made better if you've read the book. And I will stand fast to that, you know, uh, forever. But anyway, those are my three movies, I would say. Man, this is a really good answer. Yeah, I think so, too. I'm going to watch The Witch. Let's watch it. Yeah, let's find a time let's to watch, watch The Witch. This is a, is a very good question uh, from Ben and Abby. Thank you so much to our patrons. Uh, all of our patrons, but Ben and Anime in particular. And if you'd like to get your question answered, you can get on Patreon and give us that $50 pledge if you feel so moved. All right. So let's get into our quantitative preview there. My my good good Hell man. Yeah, brother. 
Flamio, my hotman. So, who <laughs> is Vandy? So, they are they are bad but competent on offense. They're not even competent. They're just like mm-hmm. not a garbage yeah. a, a a garbage dumpster full of raccoons having sex on fire bad. Right, offensively. <laughs> but they are that yeah. bad on defense. On defense, they are like mm-hmm. two dumpsters in a tornado filled with raccoons that are on fire and fornicating. But that tornado has been spun out of the the top right quadrant of a category five hurricane bad. They're they're pretty bad on offense. They're fifty-sixth in total EPA. They are uh tenth. Basically, the only thing they're good at offensively is that they are actually pretty good at finishing drives. They're 10th in points per opportunity, but they only have 32 total opportunities so far this year. They're good for 78th in the nation. So they they are successful when they get inside of the opponent's 40, but it just doesn't happen very often. They are 58th in EPA per play offensively, which is whatever, fine. But they are 124th in defensive total EPA, 120th in EPA per play, 124th in EPA against the run, 102nd in EPA against the pass. Those are both per play numbers that have been filtered for garbage time. They don't pass a lot. They're 102nd in passes per game, but they're okay when they do pass. They kind of have that like uh, service academy triple team kind of thing where when they pass, they, they hit bombs or not bombs, but they're successful. They do run a lot, but they're not very good at it. They're 102nd EPA per play when running. They are led by quarterback AJ Swan. He is done okay this year. He took over from Mike Wright, who was benched in Fort of in favor of Swan, and he's looked better. He is uh 0.27 EPA per play per play, 60% completion percentage, 808 yards, eight touchdowns, no interceptions as since he's taken over, which is good, but not good enough to really make them do anything other, better than two or three two and three on the season. Their best wide receiver is Will Shepard. He has 34 catches for a 64% catch rate, 435 yards and eight touchdowns this year. Good for a 0.76 EPA per play. That's pretty good. Uh, Ray Davis is their sort of workhorse back, 0.02 EPA per play. That's not good. 60 carries for 239 yards and Mm -hmm. two touchdowns. So at least it's positive. (laughs) They're not, they're not, they're not good, man. They're not, they're not good at all. They're bad. In now I, I want you to help pick me off the off the floor because you have picked out some things that they that they do well. Yeah, yeah. I will I will say here's some some you know, here at Chapel Bell Curve, we have a culture of gratitude. <laughs> and so let's celebrate some of the wins that Vanderbilt has. And I'll say why these are important in just a moment, but th- this is what they do well. And it's it's the little things, it's the details. It's just funny because typically you figure out the big things first and you figure out the details later. But it seems like Vanderbilt has somehow done that in reverse order. For instance, they've only had four turnovers in six games. They've had no interceptions. I do think that's honestly because they rarely throw the ball. However, those four turnovers, are uh, they were only for running backs and folks that had the ball um, in running plays. They are tied first nationally. Yes, first in red zone conversions. Vanderbilt had converted all 20 for, 21 of its red zone attempts into points, 17 for touchdowns, and four for field goals. For comparison and reference, Georgia is fifth there. Um, they have a perfect kicking record. Uh, they average only 45 penalty yards per game. And so all of this put together, like if you can, like the converging piece of all of these like details, I think what it tells us is that this is a team that's coached really well. And this is something you and I were talking about off air. And I think that if it had better talent and Vanderbilt was a team that 
had better reach and just more sort of focus on the football program as a whole, they might be a real contender in the conference. But it is what it is. It's Vanderbilt. You know, they, they're they a private school. There's less than 7,000 students. They just have less reach. They have, you know, less investment into this program. They get by, you know, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what I feel is sort of where yeah, I mean, the program. But how do, how do those numbers and, th- and, you know, sort of concepts make you feel? I mean, I agree with the idea that they're better coached than they have been. I mean, Clark Lee has a pretty good reputation. He was previously the defensive coordinator at Notre Dame. No, no, Notre Dame. Notre under, Dame. Notre Dame. D. <laughs> under Brian Kelly. Uh, and he came here as a, you know, he's a Vanderbilt guy. He, he went to high school outside of Nashville at this like pretty like football powerhouse kind of prep powerhouse. He played at Vanderbilt. He's come back here. He is like a Vanderbilt man, born and bred. He took Barton Simmons with him, formerly of, I think, 24 7 sports is now as player a per, player personnel director uh ironically not ironically but interestingly barton simmons actually was i think went to high school with clark lee so that's all a long way of saying that like this isn't it's interesting like this is a vanderbilt team where the results haven't been there like you said but this isn't a team that mm-hmm. is like in the bobby caldwell era or in at the end of the last uh, coaching administration where they just are not just bad, but seem kind of listless. This is a team that has mm-hmm. two wins on the year. They have played competitively with pretty good teams. They were tied with Ole Miss going into halftime. And yeah, they haven't been able to close those out into wins. But I do think that like, you know, Vanderbilt adjusted expectations. They're doing what they needed to do. They didn't just have like a year mm-hmm. zero. They had like a year negative one. Right. They had like a yeah, like they came in, they cleaned house. They're trying to build stuff up from the bottom, like in terms of structure, organization, nutrition, like, you know, just facilities They're I think they're doing work on Vanderbilt Stadium, which is kind of a charming old high school stadium at this point to upgrade it. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to say all of this, not because I think anyone really cares about Vanderbilt, but because I want to emphasize that. I don't think it's lost on anyone at Vanderbilt that like in some ways they are kind of the punching bag for this league. And even though they contribute a lot to the SEC in terms of non-revenue sports like baseball, for instance, they are Mm -hmm. they've lagged behind in football and basketball recently. And this is this is a team that has a pretty big endowment athletically and has just as much money from the TV contract as any other team in the SEC. So I think that. Oh, yeah. It is clear that they have decided they are going to take this seriously. And to me, at least from the outside, Clark Lee seems like a serious coach. He seems like someone who. Yeah. I mean, we're we're not like nickel and dime in this team anymore. They are an SEC team. They're not good. Mm -hmm. But I, I at least respect that they are trying to play the same game as everybody else. Yeah, absolutely. So with all that information, though, I do want to ask you, you know, a couple games ago, we played Kent State. And something that came out of that game is is sort of this idea that Kirby Smart plays these games that you would quote unquote call cupcake games or throwaway games as a sort of scrimmage to try things uh, in live game time scenarios that would that you wouldn't you know you can't practice those things in in practice you can't do that on the practice field you have to have a real time game situation to practice certain things that you wouldn't be able to do otherwise. And so is this a game that we think that Kirby Smart will treat like a scrimmage? And what I mean by that is, will we try different things and will we be frustrated by the play of Georgia? Or will it look like a, what was that, 2019, no, 2021, 62 to 0 
SEC win? Like, what do you think? Well, it, that's an interesting question because in hindsight, I do wonder, you know, was that Kent State game? He did treat it. I mean, they rotated a lot of guys. They did treat it like a scrimmage in some ways. Mm-hmm. But some of the issues that we identified in that Kent State game has have continued across the next three games in terms of the offensive the offense's inability to gel, right? And so I do think he will treat it like a scrimmage in the sense that I think you're going to see a lot of guys get playing time. You know, under the new redshirt rules, freshmen are anyone who redshirts can play in up to four games. This is going to be one of the games that a lot of these guys who are going to redshirt for sure play in. Do we get frustrated watching this game? I don't think that we're going to use this game to try things out so much as we are going to use this game to get people healthy. And so... Gotcha. I don't know. I mean, I think we can cover the spread is giant, but I, I think we can cover the spread. Yeah. But I don't know if we'll keep take that cover all the way to the end of the fourth quarter, because I do think that from Kirby's perspective, and I think this is a totally logical idea, that as soon as the game is not in doubt, whether that's 35 to nothing or 35 to three or whatever that number is that he has in his head. You want to take out as many people as possible because the goal of the next 14 days, basically going into the the Florida game is to come into that game as healthy as possible. Right. And so Mm -hmm. we talked in the Auburn preview about how uh, I think Graham coffee has suggested, and I've seen some other people talk about this, that maybe the trust is not there in this, the, the quarterback room outside of Stetson at this point. And so that's actually like a question that I have in terms of like what how do we treat this game from a management perspective is like when how long does Stetson play? Because you know he's hurt. His shoulder is bothering him. Shoulder injuries suck. You I guess don't trust your backup quarterback. So what is the what is the string on Stetson look like? You know, is there a score we're yeah. going for? Is he going to come out in the second half at all? I think that I mean it's it's something it's probably the storyline that I find the most compelling from this. What else do we want to say sort of about the stats of this game? Um, I mean, I know we're pretty proud of this Georgia team at this point, as far as, yeah. you know, what it is they're producing despite sort of the eye test saying otherwise in some ways. Yeah. But I, I, what else do you want to kind of say about this team? I do think, you know, we, we just talked about like who is Vandy and I, and I want to take a moment to talk about who UGA is at the season at this point in the season, because we're six games in, we're halfway through. And let's be honest, three of those games have been incredibly frustrating for a, a variety of reasons, right? And mm-hmm. I think that that kind of blinds us to the fact that this team is very good. And so mm-hmm. at this point, we uh, CBCR2 currently has us third. Uh, we are three points behind OSU and one point behind Alabama. Uh, our offense is elite, ninth in offensive EPA, first in success rate, 11th in line yards, seventh in havoc loud, second in rush EPA, 28th in pass EPA, sixth in standard down, 16th in passing downs, 27th in points per opportunity. Win the lowest national rank of any of your offensive stats that I care that you care about is in the twenties. That's a good offense, right? Yeah. This defense is also overperforming so far as I can tell eighth in defensive mm-hmm. EPA. I think so too. 10th in success rate, 31st in explosiveness surrendered. Looking at you, Keely Ringo 19th in stuff rate, 10th in <laughs> line yards, 16th in rush EPA, fourth in pass EPA, eighth in standard down EPA, 16th in pass down EPA, 10th in PPO points per opportunity. These are the, that that is a team that is at worst the third best team in the nation, and I honestly think you can make an argument for second. So, yeah, just I want to I want everyone to just like check in. I know this is the quantitative preview, 
But I would like everyone to just check in with their feelings right now. <laughs> Look inside of yourself. Let's do some sort of actualization. Let's do some. Um, that's not really cognitive behavioral therapy, but let's use some. Let's some use do a, a little therapy exercise where we just describe how that makes us yeah. feel. These past few games, I have felt frustrated as a fan, right? Mm-hmm. But I think it's important for us to look at these numbers and say, how should we actually feel? Well, not should. We can feel however we want. Our our, our feelings are totally, yeah. totally valid. But if we look at the stats, how what do those stats tell us that is different from the way that we feel, right? Yeah. This, we're checking the facts. Yeah, we're checking our facts. And the facts tell us that this is a team that is still in the college football playoff hunt, right? Nothing about that has changed. Are there mm-hmm. some things that were like, oh, oh good God. Sure. Mm-hmm. But this is a team that has everything at once in front of them. And we spent a long time as UGA fans saying, well, I guess if this team loses and this team loses, then we win the rest of our games. We could still go to the SEC championship. So I think it's just worth pausing yeah. at the halfway <laughs> mark and saying, that's not where we are, right? Like, we're this, in control of our own destiny. It, you know, it's it is a cliche to say we're in control of our own destiny, or to say there's a lot of games we're, we're you know still playing, and those are cliches because they're true, right? But if you want to if you want it mm-hmm. said more succinctly, UGA is in the race. The way the college football playoff yes. works with four teams is that if you take a loss, you're either out of the race or close to it, and there aren't a lot of teams who are legitimately in the race, and UGA is one of them. So. Mm-hmm. What do you want to see in this game? Like, what are you looking for hmm. when you're at, when you're at all good? What lounge am I looking for for our viewing party? When, when I'm at the all good lounge, meeting up with all of our lovely patrons, my patrons, um, I would love to see a few things. I mean, I would love to see the defense continuing to dominate. I think our secondary has looked a little shaky at times. However, something you said just a moment ago is like. We one of the I guess the undercurrents and one of the storylines in the beginning of the season was that this defense is going to take a step back. And by all means, like we had every right to take a step back with how many players left this Mm -hmm. team and went to the NFL. However, this defense is playing really well. And statistically speaking, they're playing way better than anybody expected them to play. There was a lot less of a step back and more of a readjustment. It feels a lot more like a second half of a game than it does a season following a national championship winning season right now. We're readjusting and figuring out where to put our pieces and how to make up for the differences in this this quote-unquote game. Um, and so I would really just like us to continue figuring out sort of uh, that defense, figuring out the secondary, figuring out sort of, um, you know, it's it seems like Ringo is somebody that teams are sort of playing strategically against at this point because they see him as a real threat. And so they're they're able to single him out and kind of play against that. And so as talented as he is, I hope that we can continue to see him sort of grow and adjust accordingly as teams continue to single him out and play against him. Um, I would also like to see uh, McIntosh and Milton kind of step it back up and figure their own stuff out. I think that they're just as talented in the similar way as Ringo is. Like teams are playing against them as well, and which allows Edwards and Robinson to really step up and sort of have their moment of uh, sort of flash in the pan early in this, you know, early in the season. And so that's really exciting. But I would love to see all the running backs continue to get that sort of uh, those reps and continue to to have that growth. Um, 
I would love to see the team get up quickly and to put starters away as quickly as possible. And that's something I know you have in here as well. But um, I think I actually, without even looking at your notes, I think I may have said everything you have notes here for as well. Good job. <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, we're in lockstep. No, that's... <laughs> no, no, we're... Yeah, I feel the same way. Um, I was not looking at these, I swear. <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> tell me more about what, what you kind of uh, hope, hope to see. I mean, obviously, you always say like, oh, we want to see no injuries. But like, genuinely... If we win this game, yeah, no injuries by any. If we win this game by, I think the line right now is thirty-eight and a half. I don't care if we cover. If we win this game by twenty points and no one gets hurt, great. And yeah, are people gonna yeah. bitch on the vent or whatever if we win this game by twenty points instead of forty? Sure. Fine. But it, like, if I have to choose between everyone's healthy and we win more comfortably, I'm choosing everyone's healthy. We are at a point in the season where we just have to stay healthy. Uh, I would also. You know, you already kind of talked about this, but let's let's get this offense going, right? Let's it, this mm-hmm. for for three games. This offense looked like things were just easy. They looked like they were having fun, and they looked like that they had a plan that they didn't really have to go to their plan B at all. And that was always going to change. You can't do that for an entire season. But I think if we can get back closer to that, I'm not even saying score 49 points or whatever. Although you certainly should be able to against this team. I'm just saying like. If you just have an offensive plan that looks like it works. And you know what? For everything that went wrong in Auburn and uh, against Auburn in the passing game, it was very clear that uh, that UGA was like their defensive line cannot run with our offensive line. We are going to run the ball down their throat until they choke on it. And the game was never really in doubt. That is an offensive plan that worked, right? And so, I don't need things to look easy. I don't need it to be perfect. I just need to see an offensive plan where it's like we don't feel like we're flailing around, right? And there are a mm-hmm. lot of reasons why that's happened. Some of them are injury-related. Some of them are just teams giving us their best shot, whatever. But that's going to be the case every week. So it's like come out against an, the, yeah. an opponent that you are that you outman. You're just getting off the bus. You outman them. And put it to bed. Drop the clutch. Put, put 28 or 30 in in the first half and then get out of there. But do it in such a way mm-hmm. where you're executing something that makes sense. So – do you want to make some predictions? This is a big spread. Mm, mm-hmm. I just got to start with that. <laughs> like the Vegas odds say that UJ should win this game by 38 and a half points. The Sam model says that UJ should win this game by 42 and a half points. That feels like too many points. And I felt that way last week about the Vanderbilt game or not the Vanderbilt game, the Auburn game. And then we came out and we beat the spread, which great like that's kind of how i felt about it at the end of the game i was very apathetic like yeah great i feel so great about it i'm so glad it did not look like that was going to be the case in the first half second half they came around and they really figured it out but 30 and a half points is a lot of points and i feel in my gut that it will happen and i'm going to predict that it will happen in just a moment but if at the end of this game we do win by the very least that many points I will feel much better about the way that this offense is clicking and figuring things out. And so uh, I have UGA at 48 and Vanderbilt at six. And that's, I guess that's what I'll stick with. I I, I think there's a great chance that we'll shut them out, but, you know, um, I'll give them six because uh, we might be figuring things out. We might be putting starters away sooner rather than later. I think we're going to put starters away you? sooner rather than later, but I just, this team is better than it was last year, but I still think this is probably a shutout. Mm-hmm. I think defensively, this team, you know, we talked about, we talked in the Auburn review 
which you should go listen to if you were not, about how Lad McConkey, yeah. when you have a guy who can run with him, it it sort of devalues his effectiveness pretty quickly because he works when he can get space, right? You know, we've talked about how you know, Stetson Bennett is way worse when he has pressure in his face. Right. If you think about all of the things that a defense could do to UGA's offense to make it not function, Vandy doesn't do any of those things. Right. And you talked about how Mm -hmm. Vandy hasn't turned the ball over a lot because they've been running the ball a lot. Right. But I don't think that is enough to really do anything to stress UGA's defense in the same way that I don't think that their defense can really do anything to get fit to get UGA off plan. Now, look. UJ has been playing with its food this year. They might do that again now. They might do that again this weekend. But I feel like mm-hmm. heading into a bye week, you UGA has since the, you know things really started to cur- turn around under Kirby Smart. Georgia has been pretty good at just like just sort of crockpotting an opponent to death. And you know there are going to be times probably <laughs> that's a good way to put that. Yeah, I mean they're going to. I don't think this is going to be like a sear on a grill. I think this is going to be like Vandy goes mm-hmm. into the crock pot raw with a bottle of Rotel and like some spices or whatever at at noon and you eat it at eight. Like it's I think it's going to be one of those <laughs> things where it's like we're up by some amount of points like in the 20s in the first half. And then at some point uh-huh. it just is like, oh, Vandy is like falling apart off of the bone. You know what I mean? Whoops. Like for, <laughs> Vandy is now fork yeah. tender. And that's, I mean, so I'm calling this 42 to nothing. I think Cut it with a spoon. I think we're going to boa constrictor this team to death. I think we're just going to lay on them. And then I think that as soon as we can, even if we don't take Van, and even if we don't take Stetson out, I think that we are going to just have a steady dose of, can you consistently tackle four different four or five star running backs? And the answer mm-hmm. for almost the entire league and most of the country is no. And I don't think Vandy is any... Mm-mm. any exemption so I, i'm gonna say 42 nothing all right i love it what are some other games around the league that we're excited about seeing and thinking about i think one of them is pretty consequential for us the alabama tennessee game. yeah i mean this is the game of the week it's it's happening at 3 30 unfortunately yeah. during our game uh, it's a big one it sucks because i'm kind of like well i really would like tennessee to take a loss here uh but we have this as an auburn 31 ut 25 game uh, th- that is our CBCR square or CBCR uh, Sam does that is CBCR two Sam. And mm-hmm. to me, that feels about accurate. I feel like Alabama is going to win, but not comfortably. And if Bryce Young mm-hmm. plays, I think Alabama has sort of the X factor in the game, but Tennessee's good. And mm-hmm. I think if you're a UGA fan who cares about the teams we're about to play, you should try to watch this game as much as you can. Um, yes. You know, Clemson, you have a note here about Clemson was only favored by three and a half points against Florida State. So you, you got any thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah. It, like, just how far the mighty have fallen, I feel, is how I feel about Clemson right now. Like, Clemson keeps winning games, but in a in a shit conference, y'all. And we all know that, I know. But I would, I am interested in watching this game only because I want to know if this Florida State team is better. It, it's still a bad team, one. They're unranked. They're still Florida State. This might be the best. This is how I see it, I guess. There's one of two directions this is going. Clemson continues to get worse, as we have noticed over the years. Or this is the best Florida State team we've seen since Jimbo Fisher left. I'm curious to see what happens, what that looks like. I don't think Clemson finishes the regular season without a loss. 
and I'm looking forward to when that finally happens. I thought it would be the North Carolina State game. I was wrong. Maybe it goes to one of these weird games like Florida State or whoever, you know, random team is left on their schedule at this point. Um, but yeah, what what are you thinking? Yeah, I mean, you know, if you adjust your expectations for DJ Uangale from he's the next Trevor Lawrence to he's just a pretty good college quarterback. He's been better this year. Mm-hmm. He's been a pretty good college quarterback. He's fine. Yeah. So I don't know, man. I think. Uh, what is his name? Verse, that guy Verse, who's a like is a former D two prospect or whatever, or not D two, but he's a former mm-hmm. uh, FCS guy who went to Florida State. He's a really good pass rusher. I think he's gonna have to get into you uh, DJ's face because I I tried to say his last name and I'm just we already went through that last year. I got it. I'm trying. Yeah, he's gonna have to get in Uyalongale's face because. He has proven so far in his career that if you get him off his spot and you make him change his launch angle or you make him uncomfortable, he just can't complete passes, mm-hmm. right? Now, when he's in rhythm, he looks mm-hmm. pretty good, especially he has this year. I think this game is going to come down to can you get a hand in Clemson's quarterback's face? And if you can, mm-hmm. I think Florida State's got a chance. I think Clemson probably wins, but you're right. I think it is interesting how those, you know, it's one of those like, families are always rising and falling in america kind of things it's like in nathaniel hawthorne like mm-hmm. you know dynasties are always dying and living in in college football oh yeah you, you want to see right us in out? front of our eyes yeah sorry dabo <laughs> uh so yeah this has been chapel bell curve uh you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else you can subscribe to a podcast. You can get in touch with us on Facebook by searching Chapel Bell Curve, email at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com, and on Twitter and Instagram at chapelbellcurve. Um, no dot com there. But if you like what you heard today, why don't you go over to wherever you listen to your podcast, give us a rating or review, and uh, just let people know what you think of the thing, because that helps us a lot. And if you'd like to support the podcast, you can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash chapelbellcurve. And, you know, just come on and join, as we said before, this burgeoning community. Mm-hmm. Um, you can M-E-E-T us in this uh, virtual space or M-E-E-T us in the M-E-A-T space this weekend when we have a M-E-E-T up. My God, why did I commit to this bit Oh, so you hard? really did it. Um <laughs> this homecoming weekend so come out and see us um uh, we're very excited for it and yeah until we see y'all next week for our review episode we'll catch you in the classic city this weekend and until then go dogs, go dogs.